Kind and loving Father, we thank you for this time that you have given us. We thank you for this opportunity where we can come to hear your word. I ask now, Lord, that you would hide me behind the cross, that the words I speak may be your words, Lord, and in turn your spirit would speak to those within the sound of my voice. Father, as we look at this wonderful topic, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to you, and that you would lift our spirits as we dwell upon this hope, is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Are you ready for Jesus to come, brothers and sisters? That's the question the song asks. Are you ready for Him to come? Today we're going to look at the great escape. And it's really to do with the second coming of Christ. Okay? That's our hope. And by the end of it, I'd like you to be able to answer that question. Are you ready for Jesus to come? Let me tell you a little story. There was a Russian businessman that visited America on very important business. But he also wanted to see the wonders of the United States. You know, for those of us that live in other countries, America is a a vast, wonderful place. Right? Okay, you are with me today. That's good. So uh, he was out to dinner with his American friend, and they began talking about the different countries. And the Russian man outlined some of the hard times that his country was going through. And so, uh, after he'd finished, the American then began to tell us some of the challenges that were facing America. He began to talk about the high divorce rate, about the corruption of politicians, the lack of morality, teenage suicides, and some of the other things that faced America. Now, the Russian man was amazed. You know, he said, I thought that you Americans were in the land of everything that was good. I thought that everything was perfect here. How can you have these problems and do you have any solutions? The Americans said, yes we do. We believe that a king is the only answer to our problems. But once again, the, Ameri- the Russian was shocked. He said, a king? I couldn't believe that someone from the States would want a king to rule over them. He would have to be pretty larger than life to fit the bill. The American thought for a second and he said, he is just that. You see, that king is King Jesus, and he is coming soon. We believe today that there is only one solution to the problems of this world. And don't be fooled, America has the same problems that the rest of the world has. And there's only one solution, and that solution is King Jesus. And he is coming again. Amen. Now, some people think that the world, if you were to ask them, you know, the general public, think that the world is going to end in a variety of different ways. You know, some think that man will destroy himself in some kind of nuclear explosion, some kind of dirty bomb. You've heard these terms? The big threat from global terrorism. Others are worried that we might be, you know, hit by a comet from outer space. Something that we will eat ourselves to death and that the world will eventually starve as there's too many people in the world. But long ago, the Bible prophesied exactly how this world would end. The good news is that it's not going to end by a collision from something extraterrestrial. It's not going to be destroyed in a nuclear explosion. We won't all starve to death. You see, the Bible says that the world will end in the triumphant return 
of Jesus to claim his people. This same Christ that left 2,000 years ago is coming back. And I want you to understand this, brothers and sisters. He is coming very soon. Did you hear me? I said he's coming very soon. And there's no doubt about that. So let's look at some of the ways that the Bible tells us about the coming of Christ. Just so we can be clear in our minds that this is really what's going to happen. Because we want to be clear, don't we? Okay. Take you back to the Apostle Paul. Now, he was a prisoner in chains, awaiting his death sentence. Okay? The steps of the executioner were just outside the door. And yet he wrote in Titus that he was looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now Paul wrote this encouraging letter to Titus, who was his true son in the faith to remind Titus of the glorious coming of the Lord. Have you ever found sometimes that you have dark nights in your life? That sometimes it looks so bleak and so black that you don't know where to go? But there's always this one shining hope. And that is the returning of Christ. Now the most talked about event in the entire New Testament is actually Christ's second coming. Isn't that an amazing fact? You know, you think about all the things that are in the, in the New Testament, but one out of every 25 verses written in the New Testament deals with the subject of Christ coming back to earth. There are two texts out of these many that we as Christians should know and should give us great comfort. We're going to look at both of them now. Now the first one is John 3.16. I'd like you to read it with me. It's on the screen, but if you want to follow it in your Bibles as well. It says... For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And we looked at that the last couple of weeks, and how important that idea is to us. That there was a price paid for our sins, so that we could partake in salvation. But there's another um, scripture that we want to look at. It was read for our scripture reading today. But I'd like you to read it with me from the screen again. It's taken from John chapter 14 and verses 1 to 3. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Isn't that a beautiful promise? Now who gave that promise? Jesus gave that promise. So in his father's house is where? Okay, but where is his father's house? In heaven. That's where God is. So this is what he's talking about. He will come again and take us with him. That's the promise, right? Okay. So over the centuries, whenever disappointment, hardship or death have threatened Christ's followers, they turn to this hope, this promise that have brought them courage, strength to endure whatever they were going through. And they've always eagerly looked forward to the fulfillment of this promise. Now later in his life, not much later, as Paul was very close to death, he proclaimed, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. 
Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You see, Paul could look forward to the executioner's acts because he was looking forward to what would happen later. He wasn't focused on the here and now, so he could walk with faith and boldness to his death because he was waiting for Christ to return. The good news for us today is that that promise is still applicable to Christ's disciples 2,000 years later. Brothers and sisters, Jesus will come. Now when the disciples asked Jesus to tell them what the signs of His coming and the end of the world would be, Jesus gave them a detailed account of events that would take place just before His return. And you find that account in Matthew chapter 24. We're going to look at some of those things now. Christ said, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And then Jesus goes on to elaborate on that particular issue. He says, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the very elect. So even those who are waiting for the appearance of Christ, if possible, could be deceived by what these false Christs and false prophets want to do. So the question is, how can we tell the difference between the false prophet and the true returning of Christ? Do we know what the differences are? Well, just in case we don't, the Lord didn't leave us to guess. You see, in the Bible, He outlined exactly how Christ's coming would be. And we looked a couple of weeks ago at the idea of telling the counterfeit by looking at the real. You know, we talked about that. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the real so that if anything doesn't measure up to it, we'll be able to tell the counterfeit. And that way, we would not mistake the real coming of Christ for anything that is not important. Now, I want you to think about this idea, that the devil wants to fool you. I want you to get that into your minds, that he wants to deceive you, so that you cannot partake in this glorious coming of Christ. He doesn't want you to win salvation. And so he's going to try and confuse us as to what's coming. 2 Corinthians says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. The devil will try everything possible at the end of time to deceive people. Even transforming himself into an angel of light to fool us. Now every now and then someone turns up who claims to be Christ. You know you see these people in the news normally ends quite badly with people dying but they turn up and they they claim that they are the Christ and some of them even wear clothes similar to what Christ might have worn 2,000 years ago. They even speak in a nice melodious and sweet voice such as Christ might have had. They quote scriptures a lot and they seem to be very wise. Some of them even attract large followings of people and they have their disciples. But none of these people are Christ. And I can tell you that with certainty today. 
that none of these people are Christ. How do I know? You see, these people may look as we expect Christ to look. They may sound as we expect Christ to sound. But they certainly do not come as we should expect Christ to come. The only safeguard for determining the truth is to look in the Bible. So let's go there now and look at some of the, the things surrounding Christ's second coming. First of all, Christ's second coming is a visible event. What does visible mean? It means you can see it. Okay. Matthew 24 and verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Can you see lightning? Okay, that's good. And Revelation 1 verse 7, it says, Behold, He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him. How many? Every eye. So it will be visible to just some people. To some people living in certain continents. No, it will be visible to every eye. Every person will be able to see Christ coming. Now, some people who claim to be Christ, we have never seen. How many of you actually saw David Koresh in the flesh? None. There you go. So he couldn't have been Christ, could he? Because every eye would have seen him. Alright. Christ's disciples were told exactly how he would come. Now Jesus had finished his work on earth, and he paid the price for man's redemption. And he was about to begin his work as our intercessor in heaven. You guys know this story? He was on the Mount of Olives, and he ascended up into heaven. Alright, so while he was uh, ascending up into heaven, the disciples were watching from below. And let's have a look at exactly what happened then. It says, when he had spoken these things, this is Acts chapter 1, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And when it says in the Bible, two men in white apparel, who's that normally? Angels, okay, stood by them, who said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. These two angels from God had come to assure, assure the disciples that Christ would not only come again, but exactly how he would come again. So he wasn't going to be born a second time. He's not going to grow up from a baby and become Christ again. He's going to descend from heaven. Jesus said plainly in the Luke chapter 21 that they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. You see, no one will ever have to tell you when Jesus comes. No one's going to have to say, turn on your television, look at this. Remember when the, uh, the Twin Towers were knocked down? People were running to television sets. People were standing in the streets watching televisions in the shop windows. When Christ comes a second time, you won't have to do that. But no one can duplicate His second coming. You catch that? Amen. So now we know the true. We can distinguish the false. When He comes back, however, He will not be coming back alone. Second point. So it will be a visible offense. He will not be coming back alone. It will be a glorious return. Matthew 25 and verse 31, Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne 
of His glory. How many angels? All. all. Heaven will be emptied because they will all return to earth with Christ. That's a lot of angels. Okay, the Bible says a uh, thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. Right? That's a lot of angels in the sky. No one will have to tell you when Christ returns. Matthew 24 and verse 31. Why does Christ bring these angels with Him? He gives His own answer. He will send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Jesus will be accompanied by a sky full of angels, a glory that really, brothers and sisters, I cannot begin to describe to you today. My imagination is not powerful enough to even picture. But suffice it to say, if you think of the most beautiful thing you've ever seen, it's more beautiful than that. <clears throat> Again, this is something that is impossible to duplicate. Can't do it. Not even with computer graphics. You couldn't duplicate this coming of the Son of God. That's amazing, right brothers and sisters? Something to look forward to. Let's go on. Number three. It will be an audible event. What does the word audible mean? You will be able to hear it. So it's visual. It's also audible. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. You see, it's not only visible, you're going to be able to hear it. And it will be heard by everyone. In fact, the call of God will be so penetrating, so loud, that even the dead will awaken from their graves and be caught up to meet Him. So again, you can't really duplicate that, can you? Brothers and sisters, can you imagine the joy on that day when that shout is given and the graves are opened? And the loved lost ones for generations are caught up to meet Christ in the air. If you can picture that in your mind, can you now see how impossible it would be for Satan to duplicate that? He doesn't have the power over death for a start. Next point. The righteous living are caught up to meet Jesus. So the dead and the righteous, the righteous, so the dead are resurrected and the righteous that are alive as well, caught up to meet Him in heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Who's them? The dead in Christ. Okay. With them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now I want you to notice something here. Where does this, uh, this meeting take place? In the air. So Christ never that touches the earth. Did we catch that? Alright, He never touches the earth. That's going to be a happy day, brothers and sisters. I mean, I say happy. Happy isn't really the word to describe it, is it? Okay, it's beyond happy. What happens as well? Well, all of the saved will be changed. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 to 53. Paul gives us some more details. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. 
For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Don't ask me how it's going to happen. Because Paul himself said it's a mystery. But we will all be changed from mortal to immortal. That's the gift of eternal life that we have looked at previously. And it's a gift that lasts forever. Amen. Amen. All other gifts from God are meaningless without this gift of eternal life. Because it means that we get to enjoy His company, His blessings, His love, one another, forever. But there's something else that God will give His people. It says, We look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body. So it won't just be immortality, but it will be immortality fashioned like Christ. No sickness, no pain, no sorrow, no aches. Isn't that wonderful, brothers and sisters? And that's how we'll spend eternity. So there will be no more uh, twisted ankles or walking on crutches. (laughs) There will be no more aches, no more arthritis, no more sickness, no more cancer. None of those things. For how long? Forever. Isn't that wonderful? It just sounds better and better, doesn't it? There will be, next point, a great earthquake. It says in Revelation, Heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the mighty men, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? And Revelation also goes on to say, There were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake, as had not occurred since men were on the earth. How many of you remember the tsunami? It's only a few years ago. It almost seems like ancient history now, doesn't it? But it was only a few years ago. That earthquake measured, I think it was 9.6 on the Richter scale. I think the Richter scale only goes up to 10 or 11, so it was pretty high. That's a big earthquake, brothers and sisters. This earthquake, bigger than even that. Nothing like it has ever been experienced on earth before. It's so big, it will break down the cities of the earth. Nothing else could befit such a returning as the Son of God, except an earthquake of that magnitude. Jesus warned that His coming would be at a time when nobody was expecting it. In Matthew 24 and verse 30, we are told that when Jesus returns, all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And this is talking about the people who aren't prepared for His coming. All they have left to do is mourn because they realize that they have missed out on what He's coming to give. They will be lost. And that reality will dawn on them in that day. On the one hand, we have this joyous picture as families are reunited. But on the other hand, we have a picture of such deep sadness, brothers and sisters of those that have missed out on eternal life and now understand what that means to them. And that day will be as real as the day when the righteous are resurrected. There will be no waking up to find that that was just a dream. 
that it was some horrible nightmare and that you still have another chance. When that day comes, that's it. Are you ready for Jesus to come? That's the question I want you to be able to answer. One earthquake and everything that man has worked for will be gone, crumbled into dust. Where will you be when that time comes? What will be on your mind when that day approaches? Remember that Jesus warned that His second coming will be at a time when no one was expecting it. And He also said that people will be busy wasting their lives in the pleasures of this world. He said, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And brothers and sisters, there is no time like the present to make that decision. Bear that in mind. Let's review. You know, of any good class, there's always a review. So you can list the points that we've covered so far. Just so you know, repetition deepens impression. So let's look at what we've covered. First of all, false prophets and Christs will try to deceive everyone. Secondly, the devil will try to impersonate an angel of light. But then the good stuff. The second coming will not be secret. There's no secret rapture planned. It will be real and visible. Every eye will see Jesus coming. And all the holy angels will come with Jesus. So really it's impossible to miss Him unless you have your eyes closed. He will come with the blast of a trumpet. He will come with the shout of the archangel. The righteous dead will be resurrected. Amen. The righteous living will be translated without seeing death. Amen. Amen. And all the righteous will be given immortality. Amen. That's the gift. All of God's ungodly people will mourn when they see Jesus. A great earthquake will destroy the earth. And lastly, and perhaps most sad, all sinners will be slain. I cannot even begin to describe to you, to tell you the half of what Jesus and His return will be like. I cannot even begin to paint that picture because really and truthfully, I don't have the words in my vocabulary. But it will be glorious beyond all expectation. It will be beautiful beyond anything we've seen. And for those that are looking forward to His coming, it will be the culmination of all their hope. At a time when Jesus will not be, when people will not be expecting it, sorry, Jesus will return. And that time is soon. Let me share with you some thoughts taken from an inspired writer. It says, The heavens are rolled together as a scroll. The earth trembles before him. And every mountain and island is moved out of its place. As I read this, I want you to let your imagination just dwell on these words. I want you to, don't fall asleep, but I want you to just come with me as I share these thoughts with you. Can you do that? Okay. Soon there appears in the east a small black cloud about half the size of a man's hand. As the cloud draws nearer earth, it becomes brighter and brighter and more glorious until it becomes a huge cloud with a rainbow above it. 
In silence, the people of God gaze at the scene, speechless. It is breathtaking. The sky is filled with radiant forms, 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands of angels surrounding Jesus on His throne. The splendor of it all covered the heavens, and as they came still nearer earth, every eye beholds the coming King. No crown of thorns mars that sacred head, but a crown of glory rests upon His holy brow. And on his vesture and his thigh, the name is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is coming back in glory, brothers and sisters. The kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man cried for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and hide them from the presence of the Lamb. Those who persecuted and killed God's people and those who ridiculed and rejected Christ as the Son of God, who shouted, crucify Him, crucify Him, have been raised to stand before Jesus at His return. Their hearts melt, their knees knock together, and with an awful despairing wail they call out, He is the Son of God! This is the true Messiah! Now they behold Him in all His glory, and they are yet to see Him sitting on the right hand of power. Those who derided His claim to be the Son of God are speechless. There is haughty Herod who jeered at His royal title and commanded the mocking soldiers to crown Jesus as a king. There are the very men whose impious hands placed upon His form the purple robe, upon His sacred brow the thorny crown, and in His unresisting hand the mimic scepter, and bowed before him in blasphemous mockery. The men who smote him and spit upon the Prince of Life now turn from his piercing gaze and seek to flee from the overpowering glory of his presence. Those who drove the nails through his hands and feet, the soldier who pierced his side, behold these marks with terror and remorse. With awful distinctness, do priests and rulers recall the events of Calvary, and with shuddering horror they remember how wagging their heads in satanic exaltation, they exclaimed, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the King of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. Those who would have destroyed Christ and His faithful people now witness the glory which rests upon them. In the midst of their terror, they hear the voices of the saints in joy exclaiming, Lo, this is our God, we have waited for Him, and He will save us. That's the group we want to be in, brothers and sisters. Amid the reeling of the earth, the flashing of lightning, and the roar of thunder, the voice of the Son of God calls forth the sleeping saints. He looks upon the graves of the righteous and then raising his hands to heaven, he cries, Awake! 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 You that sleep in the dust and arise. Throughout the whole earth, picture this, the dead shall hear his voice and they that hear shall live.
And the whole earth shall ring with the tread of the exceeding great army of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. From the prison house of death they come, clothed with immortal glory, crying, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The living righteous and the righteous saints unite their voices in a long, glad shout of victory. All blemishes and deformities are left in the grave. O wonderful redemption. Long talked of, long hoped for, contemplated with eager anticipation, but never fully understood until that point. The living righteous are changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And the voice of God, sorry, at the voice of God, they were glorified. Now they are made immortal, and with the risen saints are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Angels gather His elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Little children are carried by holy angels to their mother's arms. Friends long separated by death are united, never more to part, and with songs of gladness ascend together to the city of God. As they ascend to heaven, the retinue of angels cry, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty! And the redeemed shout, Alleluia! As they move toward the holy city. Can you see it, brothers and sisters? Before entering the holy city, the Savior bestows upon His followers the emblems of victory and invests them with the insignia of their royal state. Throughout the unnumbered host of the redeemed, every glance is fixed upon Him. Every eye beholds His glory, whose visage was so marred more than any man, and His form more than the sons of men. Upon the heads of the overcomers, Jesus with His own right hand places the crown of glory. For each there is a crown bearing his own or her own new name and the inscription, Holiness to the Lord. Unutterable joy fills every heart and each voice is raised in grateful praise. Before the ransomed throng is the holy city. Jesus opens wide the pearly gates and the nations that have kept the commandments and patience of Jesus enter in. There, they behold the paradise of God, the home of Adam, before he sinned. Then that voice richer than any music that ever fell on mortal ear is heard, saying, Your conflict is ended. Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Amen. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming back. Amen. He is coming back to grant us eternal life to grant us an end to sin, to grant us eternity with Him. And He wants each of you and myself to be there when He comes. He doesn't want any of us to be lost. But when He comes, He's coming for you. He's coming for me. Are you ready for Jesus to come, brothers and sisters? Let me tell you, there is no time to delay in preparing for His soon coming. Because as we just read, people will not be expecting Him when He returns. The only way to be ready is to wait expecting Him.
to be ready from now. I would urge you, brothers and sisters, not to leave it another day or another week, but turn your hearts to Him today.